Hello, hello, hello to my listeners out there. I want to welcome you back to another Mental Health Monday. I am your host, Dr. Melinda Johnson, and I welcome you. Today's episode is coming from um, the park, actually, uh, in the city where I live. Uh, So I chose today because it started out being an iffy day with rain, and then it turned out to be um, a warm but uh, beautiful. It has a day. It has a light breeze. And besides, normally where I do uh, this uh, uh, podcast, I do it uh, from my office at work because I have this beautiful window, this huge window, and I can see the beautiful trees and the freshly cut lawn at work, and I can see the birds uh, outside. Uh, So it's beautiful. Um, Natural sunlight comes in. It's just a setting that uh, I love. But last week we had some uh, we had some problems with uh, the weather. We had some really bad weather, and unfortunately, it ripped the roof off of the building. Um, it uh, blew the internet uh, software uh, and equipment. So we got people in and out of, out of the building and the property, and it was just be a distraction. I could could have done it from home, but I would have been distracted because I'm so obsessed with the Handmaid's Tale. Um, I can watch it over and over again for the past year since the pandemic hit. Uh, I've just been watching it. I can probably tell you that I've seen all of the episodes, uh, all of the four seasons, um, including the new uh, season, uh, so many times. I, I, I just I can't even count on my hand anymore, okay? So I'm not obsessed with it. I was watching it this morning. I was like, let me get out of this house before uh, I don't even get the chance to record Mental Health Mondays because I'm so caught up with the Handmaid's Tale, okay? Um, I also want to give a shout-out to uh, the mothers. Uh, yesterday was Mother's Day, uh, so I give a shout-out to all the mothers out there uh, and biological, uh, adoptive, surrogate, whatever, uh, aunts who stand in line um, as mothers or who feel like mothers, uh, stepmothers, uh grandmothers, godmothers, any uh, title with mother at the end of it, okay? I give a shout-out to you. I hope you enjoyed your day, uh, and blessings to you all. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to my own sisters, uh, my aunts, uh, and uh, my aunts, uh, let me put an S on that, uh, and uh, my adult nieces, uh, who are also uh, the mothers of my great nieces and nephews, so I give a shout-out to them as well. Um, and the next shout-out I want to give, I want to give it to uh, Trenum State Technical College. Uh, I was the keynote speaker on last Thursday for their uh, president's retreat. The theme was superheroes, and it was just beautiful. Um, I had to give a uh, present. I had to present on the topic of um, effects on uh, effects of the pandemic on mental health. It was really beautiful. I supplied them with uh, some resources and tools to help maintain their own um, mental and emotional wellness. So it was beautiful. Thank thank you to my TSCC family. Uh, it was an honor um, to do it for you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, kudos to uh, everyone who uh, was able to sit through 
this uh the uh the pre- uh, presentation i thank you for that uh i couldn't have been more honored and it was a pleasure again um so today's topic we're going to jump right on in uh the topic is uh eric hipple now eric hipple is now retired he's 63 years old or somewhere around in that um age uh he is a he uh, has been retired for years, okay? But he did an article on last week that I read in reference to he opened up about his own uh, fight and battle with uh, mental illness, okay? Um, it all started, when he looked back on it, it started when he was a young kid, and he said that he noticed that he was having, um, he called them, um, he wasn't feeling right. Okay, he was having some feelings that were not right, uh, but, you know, we call them episodes. But he didn't tell anybody about it, not even his parents. And he talked about how he went to college, and he couldn't, for a whole term, he couldn't get up out the bed. Now, those of you who've gone to college, you know, they're either terms or semesters, okay? And so we know how terms and semesters work, okay? It's for weeks, right? Several weeks, okay? So he couldn't get up out the bed, which is a red flag. So, you know, when he was in high school, when he was having the, the episodes, he said, you know, uh, uh, he said, said he said, he said that he said to himself, you know, I'm a, basically I'm a star athlete. You know, I am a good uh, uh, student. I excelled in my classes. You know, I need to shake this off. Okay. He got to college. He was going through this depression uh, where he couldn't get out of bed, he said to himself, if I don't get up out of this bed, I'm going to lose my scholarship, okay? He made it to the NFL. Symptoms started happening in the NFL. He maxed, put a mask on him, put a Band-Aid over like he had been, like he taught himself to do, and he started drinking alcohol, okay? So, do that, long story short, that's the brief uh, story of his life and his bout with depression and mental illness, right? Okay? He said that he never told his parents about it in high school. He never told his uh, he never told his parents about it as a young child. He never told his parents about it in high school. He never told his parents or or anyone, um, not even his coaches, about it in college. Uh, and he never told his coaches or anyone about it uh, during the end of his NFL career. Okay, so as these episodes start start to increase. And these symptoms start to exacerbate, okay? And when I say exacerbate, okay, let me just tell you how bad they were. So what ended up happening, you know, like if you take a tea kettle, right, and you pour the water in it, you put the cold water in it, and you put it on the stove, okay, and you're waiting for that, that water to come to a boil, right? So it's coming to a boil. And once it comes to start to come to a complete ball, it starts to whistle, okay? The whistle is normally, it gets, you know, you can hear the water boiling. And I know this because, and I'm so detailed about it because I'm such a uh, tea drinker, okay? I've been a tea drinker, uh, ooh, God, since I've been in my, uh, since I was in my early uh, 20s. But that tea kettle starts to come to a ball, so what happens is that it starts to whistle, okay? That whistle gets, it's light, and then it gets louder and louder and louder and louder and louder, Okay? to where it starts whistling so loud to where if you're standing outside, you can hear it. I could hear it in the shower, okay, with the water running. 
I can hear it. So that's how loud the the tea kettle tends to whistle. So now, that is how Eric Hipple's symptoms started out, okay, to where it boils over like the teapot, the water in the tea uh, kettle, okay? So when his symptoms got to the fact that they were whistling all loud, guess what ended up happening? Eric Hipple was riding in the car in 1998 with his wife on I-275. He slipped her a little note where he had scribbled the word goodbye on it, opened up the car door, and jumped out of it. Okay? The car was still rolling, still rolling, still rolling. Okay? He was hospitalized, uh, but with non-life-threatening injuries. They covered it up, and his wife helped him. His family helped him. Everybody helped him cover it up through a lie. And the lie he told was the door opened on its own. Yeah, the door swung open. What's sad is that people believed it. It would be impossible for anyone who knew him and knew him well and with his history of him drinking the way he say he did, no one noticed his depression. No one noticed how severe it was. It's impossible for me to believe that. Do I believe they covered it up? Absolutely. He First off, he wouldn't lie about it, number one. Okay? Who would lie about that? Who would, you know, would, would lie and say, oh, they lied, you know, they lied for me. You wouldn't want your family and everyone else to be scrutinized and ridiculed for covering up something so dangerous because what it was was attempted suicide. He attempted suicide. Okay? That's what he did. And the fact that nobody saw fit for him to be institutionalized is so disturbing to me. And the fact that they let him continue to go on with his life It's mind-boggling for me. But yet they did. And he covered it up and covered it up and covered it up, okay, and covered it up. Because remember now, he was known as one of the baddest quarterbacks for uh, the Detroit Lions. He was known as the quarterback who could take a hit, a huge hit at that, and just get on up and keep moving. He was known for that. So, of course, now that you have retired, you still carry that image, right? So you don't want anybody to know because you didn't die when you jumped out of the car. So you don't want anybody to know that you attempted suicide and you're considered one of the greatest. Because then then you feel... His fear was that people would look at him differently. Because here's what here's the truth now. People do. They do. Okay? Even after that though, the attempt of suicide on his on his life, he still didn't think he needed to seek treatment. 
until two years later, in the year of 2000, when his 15-year-old son shot himself while their seven-year-old daughter was in another room, his sister. Hippo was out of town on business, and his wife, which was the kid's stepmom, was out running errands. So he was left, you know, babysitting the little sister. So here is here is where mental illness just keep running through this family. Here it is, okay? So what's happening is that that young man was exposed to his dad's mental illness, right? When his dad tried to commit suicide, of course he noticed his dad's depression. He noticed it. Okay? He noticed it. And when his parents divorced, he was going through his own issues with his parents, you know, him being shipped between one parent and the other and the, and the little sister, being shipped between, you know, both parents. Your dad tried to commit suicide, okay? So this baby's dealing with his own issues, right? Because he's been predisposed to it. So what ends up happening is that the dad, so now this kid, this young man, this baby, this dear heart, has taken his own life. And Hippel said that he didn't know how bad the divorce had taken its toll on his son until his son had taken his own life. As a professional, I understand why he never noticed. How can you notice your son's depression when you're in the midst of your own depression? How can you notice your son struggling struggling emotionally when you're struggling emotionally? How can you notice your son struggling mentally when you're struggling mentally? Remember, it was just two years prior to that where he tried to commit suicide himself. And he's not in treatment. So he's working real hard to cover up his own issues that keep piling up on top of the ones he already had two years prior to that. So now you're dealing with the death and the devastating death of your son. And the fact that, of course, he thought about it. You know, was I so, if, had I not, had I gotten treatment for myself? My son would still be here. Of course he thought that. Okay? But that pushed him to get the treatment that he needed. Okay? His son's death forced him to seek the treatment that he needed to save his life. So his son's death saved his life. Okay, And so after the death of his son, he started working for uh, the University of Michigan's uh, Depression Center. And so he started educating himself on depression, okay, because there are 
uh, different levels of depression, okay? So he started educating himself more and more on mental illness, more and more on mental illness, more and more on mental illness. And so now we fast forward to eight years after that, because remember the daughter was seven, and she's been predisposed to the brother's suicide, the daddy's attempted suicide, mom's divorce, dad's bout with depression. Even, I can guarantee you, even the little sister noticed some symptoms in the brother, okay? The dad was even missing symptoms in the daughter, because I'm sure that little girl was exhibiting some symptoms, okay, over the course of years. But ironically, at the age of 15, the same little little girl who witnessed, who was in the other room watching TV when her brother committed suicide, the same little girl whose dad jumped out of a moving car and attempted suicide, the same little girl who went through the same, her parents' divorce, at the age of 17, found herself in her own mental health crisis. She found herself struggling with her own emotional instability. However, she didn't make an attempt to commit suicide, but she began cutting herself, what is known as self-harm. Yeah. She started cutting herself, cutting herself, which is just as serious, okay? It's, it's, it's just as bad because rather than going to her parents and saying, I need help, she was masking the pain in her head by physically causing and inflicting pain upon her on her body. Parents, when you are emotionally and mentally unstable, it is impossible for you to raise emotionally stable children. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot raise emotionally stable children when you're dealing with your own issues or problems, or whichever words you want to use. Because when you try, this is the end result. His life came back in full circle because everybody helped him cover up his mental health issues. We can't talk about the people who didn't see the signs, okay, when he was younger. But we can talk about the people who intentionally ignored the signs and the symptoms when he was younger, when he was in high school, when he was in college when he was playing for the NFL, when he retired. We can talk about those people. Because every stage of his life, his, his symptoms exacerbated or increased. They got worse.
that word. You know, now he's traveling the world uh, in the country, and he speaks to, this is Eric Hippel, he speaks to, uh, he he does motivational speaking on uh, mental health and wellness. You know, he's become this huge advocate, you know, and I, you know, kudos, and I tip my hat off to him because we need more of those people. Um, He is in the process of assisting Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan with mental health programs geared towards employees and customers, okay? Uh, Because did you know that uh, there are reports out there that the health care crisis is costing employees $200 billion a year due to lost uh, productivity because people are missing work, taking care of themselves or loved ones? I mention this because NFL players and other professional uh, athletes, uh, their associations and their leagues need to invest more money and do more uh, for their players, current and former players, uh, when it comes to their mental health. They have physical therapists on, on payroll and on staff. They have uh, doctors on payroll and on staff. You, you understand what I'm saying? Why can't you have a mental health clinician on staff? What's stopping you from putting another payroll on staff? And help these players get their mental health under control. And especially the NFL, because they're out there taking hits and getting these concussions so that you can make more money. They're lying to you about their symptoms for them to, so you can make more money and they can make more money by standing in the game. We all know the history behind concussions. We know the history. We know CTE. We know this, the brain injuries that come behind that. We know. And for this, for the NFL and these general managers of these teams and these uh, team owners, not to think for a second, to put these players, when they've been diagnosed with a concussion, uh, into therapy. And I mean uh, not physical therapy. I mean mental health treatment to make sure that they are emotionally and mentally stable. After these hits, it doesn't cost them much if you put one on staff. You can have, they can put a, a, a mental health clinician on staff, whether it be a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or a counselor, or a therapist, a mental health coach, or a mental health consultant. They can put somebody on staff to where if one of your players is in need and y'all start exhibiting um, uh, symptoms of, of, of mental instability um, or they start, you know, uh, emotionally uh, uh, seem to be unstable, what is stopping you from putting somebody on staff and say, hey, when practice is over, you need to go see so-and-so? That person is right there waiting to see them. What's stopping them? If they injure their knee, you're going to send them to the, to the team doctor? Mm-hmm. You're going to send them to the team doctor. Without any hesitation, you're going to send them to the team's doctor. So what is stopping you from putting a mental health clinician on 
staff. You can't tell me that these uh, uh, higher-ups in these uh, associations don't notice this behavior before it gets too far gone and out of control. But what they do is that when they start noticing the behavior and it starts getting out of what they quote unquote getting out of control, they you know they transfer them or they dismiss them depending on what what it is that they've done. You know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is an ex uh, NFL uh, giant uh, player, right? And we had a whole debate. In fact, you know, it escalated above uh, a, a debate. Uh, and shout out to him. Uh, but we had a conversation. Uh, and he kind of rubbed me the wrong way because he kept saying, they're not going to do that because of the money. It's a money business. It's a money-making business. They care more about money. They know what they signed up for. You know, of course I, was, I knew he was going to say that because he's a, he's a former player, right? I know. Yeah. But for his thought process to be, they signed up for it, blows my mind. So he said this to me. He said, so you're telling me that if a man is out there playing, well, he used the word dude. If a dude out there playing dice with some more people, more guys, and he loses his money and he pulls out a gun and shoots them, that's a mental health issue. Something wrong with him. He crazy. That's the word he used. I said, so you're telling me that losing a couple of dollars, okay, not dollars, but dollars, will call somebody stable to pull out a gun and shoot somebody. I said, that's what you're telling me. He said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I said, think about it. Why would losing a dice game and you lost a couple of dollars make you angry enough to pull out a gun and shoot somebody? You're telling me that that's, that's a stable person. That's what you're telling me. He said, yeah. He mad. It's the environment. It's the environment you put him in. I said, okay. Let's change his environment. We're going to put that same fellow that you use as an example. And we're going to put him in an environment where everybody out just having a good time. He with a bunch of professionals. You know, they having, you know, drinks. Um, not heavy drinks. They're at an event. And he gets extremely angry. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he gets extremely angry for no reason. So we think everybody laughing, having a great time, and he just pulled out a gun and started shooting. He ain't in, he ain't in the hood at a dice game with a bunch of other dudes that he are more alike than different. Okay. He's in, this is a a professional, okay? I said, you can give him the career choice that you want. But, yeah, just a professional. Everybody in the room professional. And he decided he's going to just pull out a gun and start shooting. Would you consider him to be unstable? Or is that his environment? See, see, see this is my issue with people who are unfamiliar with how mental illness uh, works and the behavior and the symptoms of mental illness. We want to we wanna just automatically say that, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, that's he grew up like that, so we expected him to kill somebody. No. 
People just don't wake up in the morning and decide they're going to start killing people. That's not how that works. So what you have to do is you have to put yourself in an environment where you can learn what about mental illness before you speak on it. And when I say put yourself in an environment, have a conversation with a mental health professional, not somebody who has experienced it. Because someone experiencing mental illness is not the professional. They've just experienced it. Talk to somebody who has gone to school for and has made a career out of it. Talk to them. Because what we do know is that mental illness, emotional unwellness, mental unwellness has impacted everyone's life. Everyone's life. In fact, one in five people have experienced mental illness. When I sent my sister uh, some paperwork to proofread and that was in there, she sent me a text and she said, so you're telling me that even I have experienced some form of emotional unwellness? And I said, yes, you have, huh? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Emotional and mental unwellness is not off limits. Everyone is impacted and affected by it. It just not. It it just it not. Uh, it, what happens is that it's not as bad, or the symptoms are not as severe. I'm gonna say it like that. With with one, that it may be with two. That's all. Okay, one may know how, may know how to cope better than two. Two may have to seek treatment or therapy for it or counseling for it. Okay, so you have to understand that nobody is off limits when it comes to mental illness. So, my friend, who like I said, who I had that uh, debate, uh, I had said to him, "Look, I gotta go. I can't keep going back and forth with you." You know, because you keep telling me that it's about money and all this other stuff. You know, of course it's about money. I told him that it's about money. If if, if you're just not coming out the womb, everybody knows it's about money. Who doesn't know that uh, the uh, these uh, professional associations and leagues are about money? We know that. We already know that because the more, you know, the more money the athletes make, the more money the league makes. The least amount of money that the league has to pay out on an athlete, the more money they can uh, make and profit off that. We know that. My issue is when you discard them and overlook their mental health when they're no more good, and I put air quotes on that one, for you. They're no more good for the league. They're no more good for your association. That's where my problem comes in at. That takes a toll on their mental health. When you discard them as if they had not put their life on the line, because when you play football, that's exactly what you do. You discard them as if they're not out there putting their life on the line for you every single time they get out there on that field. And discarding them like they are yesterday's garbage is unacceptable. We as a people have to put mental health in the forefront because if we don't put mental health in the forefront, it's going to keep falling behind everything else. And it, 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 it's 
it blows my mind how mental health is people still don't put mental health to the forefront and have this stigma on mental health when we know that if your brain is not functioning right, the rest of your body is not going to function right. Because your brain is what tell your body what to do. And the fact that mental health is still falling second to physical health is just disturbing to me. When are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up? I I was at a fundraiser on last Thursday, and um, it was a beautiful fundraiser. Uh, I, I thank, thank them for the invite. But there was a... Uh, retired NFL player there and you know he had his book there uh and he talked about uh every uh, you know he just briefly talked and I uh but before he got up to give his little speech uh let me let me let me move backwards uh he uh was signing books in the VIP section so I went over I didn't want a book let me just tell you up front I didn't want a book I didn't want a book but I was standing in line waiting to talk to him, and I was talking to – because I want to ask him a question about, you know, what's his take on mental health in football in the NFL. So I was standing in line, and the uh, there's a lady that was with him. I'm going to assume she was his PR person or whatever. And she said, don't you want a book? And I said, well, I just wanted to ask him a quick question. And so she wanted to know what the question was. And so I was talking to her about, you know, what I do and working with the athletes, the local high school athletes. And mental health, and she was like, oh, my God, yes, he would be glad to have a conversation with you about that. You know, yes, ask him about it. She was, you know, she had a lot of questions. She was stoked about it, right? When I finally got a chance to talk to him, he got nervous. I asked him, I said, I just have a quick question. I said, I don't want to waste a lot of your time because, you know, you've been talking, and I know at some point, you know, we're going to get started, and, you you know, you're the keynote speaker, and, you know, I know you need to get your thoughts together before you get up on the stage. So I said, and I promise you this is not an interview. I just want to ask you, what is your position on mental health and the NFL? I said, or in football or with football in general. He looked at me like he didn't understand what I was saying, and I knew immediately I made him nervous. And I knew I made him nervous, and, you know, I tend to, I can be a little intimidating, not on a purpose. I think it's, you know, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I guess it's my uh, persona. I don't know. But uh, he started rocking back and forth. Okay, I knew he was nervous. Why were you nervous when it came? When I asked a question about mental health in football was a red flag for me. Red flag. So he said, well, what do you mean? What do I mean? So I said, okay, well, let's, let me just use you in the, for an example so that you can understand what I, the question that I'm asking, which I thought I made the question clear. What is your, you know, how do you feel about mental health in the NFL? Like, like what's your take on it? How you don't uh, understand what I'm saying when this thing has been blasted across uh, all of the headlines blows my mind, okay? So the fact that that question was unclear to him was a red flag. But he started rocking back and forth, and I said, well, I'm gonna, let's use you, for example. How do you compare, how, did, how would you compare your mental health uh, during your uh, time you played in the NFL as compared to when you retired, first retired? 
he started rambling on and started biting his nails and still rocking side by side. Okay, now I told you now, pay attention to body language. And he says, well, you know, I would do other little things. I would get involved in charities, and I had a counselor uh, and things like that. But now I work with the Wounded Warriors, and he wanted to talk about the Wounded Warriors. Now, kudos and shout out to everybody who worked with the Wounded Warriors, okay? But that's not what I want to talk about. He completely changed the subject. And when I noticed that I was making him way too nervous, I said, well, okay, thank you for your time. And he said, well, you want me to sign your book? Now, let me be real clear. I didn't want him to sign my book. I didn't even want the book. I was going to give the book to somebody else so they can get their sign. Okay. Um, but I said, yeah. And he wrote in it, you know, he said, well, how do you want me to make it out? And I said to Dr. Johnson. And he said to Dr. Johnson, God bless. And he signed his name. That was it. And I went over onto my seat, and the, the young lady I was with who, you know, invited me to the fundraiser, she said, how did it go? I said, I think I made him nervous. And she said, why? What happened? And so I told her, and she said, mm-hmm, yeah, he was nervous. She said, why would he be nervous if you ask him about mental health? I said, you only get nervous about mental health if you're still dealing with your own mental health issues. And she said, okay. That we, she said, okay. We're going to leave that one alone was what she said. And I just chuckled. Yeah. Yeah. So mental health is still a stigma. He was so nervous. And I couldn't figure out why he was so nervous. It just blew my mind. So I went on over and sat back down and ate my little, you know, little piece of cheesecake. And I was happy and content. But when he got up to speak, he didn't, all he talked about was an incident. He didn't really talk about what was in the book or whatever, uh, which he, the book is focused on his time as a college athlete, which is really interesting. Uh, and it just talked about, you know, how he played and, you know, what he was known as and what his record was and, you know, all this other stuff. But it's impossible for you to be a professional athlete and you don't have your bout with mental illness or should I say emotional unwellness, I will say that, or mental unwellness. You have mental health issues because every day you go out there and play as a professional athlete, you don't know if you're going to be traded, you don't know if you're going to be benched, you don't know if you're going to be dismissed, and that's your livelihood. So that all by itself plays a role on your mental health, not knowing whether or not you're going to play for this team the next day. That would play a role in anybody's mental health because it's their job. It's how you eat. It's how you make a living. No different than my job. It's how I eat. It's how I make a living. Okay? So we can't – so the fact that we still have these athletes, even the NFL ones, um, retired athletes who don't want to talk about you know, mental health, it still blows my mind, which lets me know that it's a, it's a touchy subject because they're afraid to talk about their own. They're afraid that, you know, it'll spill over into their own mental health. And that's why their symptoms are going to uh, exacerbate because you're still trying to cover up what you're dealing with and, 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 and have gone through. 
Because what we do know is that if you have already gone through it and you're in a better place through treatment, therapy, medication, uh, that type of thing, you want to tell everybody about it. You know why? Because you want to help everybody, especially in this day, in this moment when mental health has been the topic for running rapid since this pandemic has happened. But it's still taboo for some people. Some people still want to walk around here like they still got it all put together, mainly our athletes. Mainly our athletes. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with his conversation with his wife that night or even with uh, the, the young lady that was with him, uh, working with him. Um, she wasn't his wife because I asked her. Um, even her, I would love to to know what that conversation was like on their way back to Atlanta. Would have been really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I uh, I never, and it is never my intent, to make people feel uncomfortable, but I will always be passionate about mental illness because uh, people still don't understand the seriousness of it, okay? They don't understand how important it is to maintain uh, good mental health, good emotional health. Still don't under- They still don't understand the seriousness of it, okay? So uh, as I close, I want to uh, send my condolences to Eric Hippel uh, and his family and all the uh, loss and the pain that they suffered along with every other family out there. Uh, My condolences to them, uh, and I want to tell him to keep on advocating um, on behalf of mental health uh, because we need uh, more people like him. Um, And, you know, especially players. And now what he, like I said, what he does now is that, you know, he has put so much of his time and energy into it to where now, you know, he he speaks on behalf of uh, mental health and mental illness. You know, he was just uh, recently he spoke at a high school uh, to students about paying more attention to their own mental health, okay? You have to teach that young. You got to teach that early on. When, a, when your uh, small child comes to you and say, I'm sad, You can't just say, oh, okay. You got to ask them why are they sad, okay? He's just not going to, or she's just not going to say they're sad for no reason. And I'm giggling when I say that because yesterday my great nephew, I heard him say, uh, tell somebody he was sad. But it was because he couldn't go back outside, okay? But that was uh, an honest emotion he was feeling in that moment. Yeah. I heard my niece Ask him, well, why are you sad? And he said, because I can't go back outside. But that, you know, so she didn't just ignore it and say, oh, please, go sit down. She, so I didn't even have to come out of the room uh, and address it because I was going to. She had to just let that slide. I was going to come out and say, hey, you can't just ignore his feelings about why he's sad. So I was I was glad to hear her say that. So you have to start young. Um, when you're talking to these babies about uh, the importance of their mental health. Also, um, he uh, is working with, uh, Eric Hipple is now working with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. And these are things I hope can spread across the country, okay? He's working with uh, uh, Assistant Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, the insurance company, uh, with mental health programs geared towards employees and customers. 
okay? Insurance pays for mental health uh, treatment right now, therapy uh, and counseling, but it's very minimal. Um, you, they get maybe like 15, 20 visits a year. That's not good. You can use that up in a month, depending on where your uh, mental health is in that moment, okay? So that's that's really good. Um, and like I say, he speaks across the country as he ad- and advocates for mental health and mental wellness. Um, he's also working with the NFL's alumni in efforts to mental health uh, and awareness for former players, okay? So he's working with the NFL's alumni um, in, to make an effort to focus more on mental health and mental awareness for former players, okay? you got to stop discarding these players like, you know, there's nothing going on. Like, you you got to stop doing it. You know, the league has to stop doing that, okay? Stop pretending like these players, uh, or I won't say pretending because they may not be pretending. Stop mistreating these players by using them up, then throwing them away because that's on purpose. It's intentional, Okay? So these are some of the things that uh, he is doing, and I applaud him um, for it because when he first started uh, getting the help and the treatment that he needed for uh, uh, his mental health issues, he started working for the University of Michigan Depression Center to learn more about mental health and mental illness. So for you, in order for you to be a good advocate for it, you especially if you're not a mental health clinician, uh, meaning that it's not what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, if you're ju- you just suffer from uh, emotional instability uh, or emotional uh, uh, or mental instability or emotional instability, or if you've been diagnosed with some form of uh, mental illness um, or a mental disorder, even when you are uh, stable, Okay, whether it be in in counseling, on meds, whatever. Even when you're stable, there is all there will always be a possibility that you will go back into remission, so to speak. Okay, so we have a lot of people out there, celebrities included, still dealing with their own issues and out there uh, out there um, being a spokesperson for mental illness when they're not being honest themselves. Okay. And and that's not good for their own mental health. And the reason why I say it's not good for their own mental health is because they, in the midst of them being in the forefront and the center um, of this illness, they still got to hide. If they're in the middle of episodes and dealing with their own stuff uh, and having a hard time um, trying to get stable and you still the forefront, all that is going to do is increase your own symptoms because you're working extra hard trying to Fool people, because that's what you're doing. When you're out here and you're the upfront and you're the center and you're the face of, you know, mental health, and you know you still in the middle of your own crisis, you're fooling people and you're and you're fooling yourself. If you think people like me don't notice it, so what I'm saying is, it's okay to speak on mental health and mental illness when. You're in the midst of it, and you're talking about yourself. It's not okay to be out here giving advice when you're not a mental health clinician and making recommendations 
when you're not a mental health clinician. Because you don't know how well certain treatments or medications may work when you're not even compliant. So before you can be a help to someone, you got to help yourself first. My saying and my motto has always been and always will be, before you check on someone else's mental health, check on your own first. Before you check on someone else's mental health, check on your own mental health first. That's my time for today. I want to thank you uh, to all of my listeners who have tuned in on today and who will tune in on later dates. Thank you uh, for this moment. I appreciate every moment I get to talk about uh, mental health, especially during the month of mental health uh, of May, considering May is uh, mental health uh, month. So I thank you, and um, the color for mental health is green, so wear your green as many days as you can in the month of May. Um, Thank you again um, to the listeners and everyone who's been so supportive of me. I want to give a shout-out to my friend, the former player for the uh, NF, uh, for the New York Giants, who uh, I got uh, on his case uh, uh, on last week about mental health. Uh, And thank you, thank you, thank you. To all those uh, who are listening again, don't forget to email me, um, tweet me, or send me a message on Instagram um, with any questions, um, your comments, even as it pertains to uh, yourself. You know, send me um, something and I can ask, you know, I can talk to you. I can't assess you, but I can, you know, uh, maybe have a conversation with you and consult with you and um, point you in the right direction um, of how to get treatment and therapy or counseling in your uh, area. Also, uh, uh, don't forget to uh, email me. Um, I tend to check my email more than I check my uh, my social media because I'm still new to social media, so there's a lot that I have to learn. Um, but thank you again. Uh, my email is uh, when life coaches you uh, at gmail dot com. Um, you can uh, so make sure you send me emails, and you can put more information in email than you can um, in a DM. I think that's what you call it, uh, or a tweet. So feel free to uh, do that. Uh, I read every comment. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be able to do this. And uh, good luck to everybody. Stay safe and get vaccinated. Have a good one.